0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. Um, and I'm going to go straight over to Cora now. Cora, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you doing? I'm good, Cora. Uh, Cora, your situation there is uh, is a very difficult situation. Uh, t- tell us your story. You've got your uh, lovely son, Alfie. I do, I do. I have uh, Alfie, who's 12. Uh, Alfie was born with Down syndrome and should have started secondary school in September, but unfortunately there are no places. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, so this is like, we're now into what, the 16th of October. So yeah. like my girls started secondary school this year, so they, they're well settled into their term now. They're what, six or seven weeks in. Yeah. What is the story? I mean, wh- when did you realise that there might be an issue getting a place for Alfie? Uh, well, I, I realised last January when I started applying for different schools in the area. Alfie needs a, a more specialised setting. You know, he's not really able for mainstream. So the point of it, I need a special needs unit or I need a special school for Alfie to attend. And the places just aren't there. And how long have you say you started looking last January? January, yeah. And what are you being told, like when you when you when you apply? Um, pretty much, like for for instance, in I live in a Thai, so the area I'd be dealing with would be Carlow, County Leash, and County Kildare. So, like one of the local schools here in Carlow had 150 applications, and there were seven places. So this is the kind of numbers oh we're dealing God. with. And Port Leash was the same, and Kildare is the same. And it's been this way for quite a while now. So there must be other Alfies out there if, if well, there's that many applications for so few places. Oh, absolutely. And this is why I've come on the radio. I need to, you know, get a hold of other families and I'm going to leave my details with your researcher. And we need to get together on this and come together as a group because there's hundreds of families out here. Tell me, so what, what is Alfie doing day in, day out now? What's his day like? Well, his day is, well, he's very relaxed about the whole thing, of course. <laughs> I'm the one that's panicking. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, like his, he's out of school, you know, he's away from his peers. He's not mixing with people, you know, kids his own age. It's, it's going to have an effect right across the board for him. And I want him to reach his full potential and he needs to be in a school setting. But how are you managing then with him? You, you're a single mom, are you, Cora? I'm a single mom, I am. And I work three days a week and it's very difficult. So when I am going out to work, I have to pay childcare, of course. So somebody comes in for me, you know. So I earn very little by the time I'm finished with my three days out. You know, I hand everything over in childcare because I want to keep my job. Yeah, so do you, do you want to go into the actual figures there? Because I, I have well, them here in front of me, but I won't share them unless you're, you're comfortable doing all. it. Well, it's very basic. Like, I'm not out there. I'm not a CEO of anything. Like, I'm just working a normal job. I get 13 euro an hour and I give childcare 10. So I get 3 euro an hour for my job. This okay, is so where we're at. That's not sustainable, obviously. Not at all. Not at all. But even more, like just the idea that we are, as I say, all these weeks into the school term and yeah. there's a 12-year-old child sitting at home yeah. day and out. Have you been offered alternative, uh, like, tutoring? I have, I have. Now, that the the National Council for Special Education, the lady I'm dealing with there, I got a, a two-hour-a-week uh, homeschooling offer, which I have turned down because it's not acceptable. And I've they've come back to me with nine hours a week homeschooling. So what would that entail? This would be a, a, a teacher coming into your home for I would, a few hours yeah. a day of, over over the course of a week? Yeah, well, it's nine hours. That's what you get. And it's up to me now to find the tutor as well, I was told last week. So I've been ringing around trying to get tutors. But, you know, they're all taken now at this stage. Now, there's one lady I'm hoping is going to get back to me. um, And she has some hours free. So we'll go from there. And then I would drop him and, of course, wait for him, like while he's, you know, having his class with this lady. Oh, so you don't, she won't come to the house. You actually have to take him and wait. I take him, yeah. Yeah. And again, so that means you again can't work. No, that's exactly right. But, and again, nine hours is not a full week it's in not, school, obviously, it's or it's not. a very long way off it. It's a very long way off it. And, you know, Alfie needs as many hours as he can get. And I want to bring him to his full potential. And that is just not appropriate. That's not an education for any child. And and even in a, if uh, set aside the education part of it, uh, like just the socialising part of school yeah. life, which is obviously yeah. important as well. So it's massive and it's massive for Alfie, of course, and I want him to have that. And he is missing out on all of that, getting to hang out with his peers 
and play football in the schoolyard and do what all kids do, you know, and he's missing out on all of that. Can, could he go, I know you said just at the start there that you don't think he would be able for mainstream, but would you, would you Mm -hmm. think about putting him into a, would he be, would he be accepted in a mainstream class with, you know, with maybe SNA support? Sure, sure, and that has been offered, but there isn't any school again that can can do that in our area. I, I've tried many schools, and it's just not an option. It seems. I mean, Alfie, uh, academically, where we're, he'd be going to a first year setting, and academically, Alfie is maybe third class at a push. You know, so it's going to be. I'm setting him up for a fall. Like he, you know, he's going to be disruptive in there. He's not able to kind of sit still and conform to his classroom situation. You know, so it it wouldn't be ideal for anybody. But, yeah, yeah, just can, can you maybe tell me a bit? And I know, obviously, I, you, you know, you want to be as positive as you can about Alfie's yeah. uh, abilities mm-hmm. and all that. But just the challenges that, that he has. Sure. Well, I mean, realistically, like the challenges are, I mean, he's just not able, you know, the attention span is zilch. And, you know, he just would not be able to sit for an hour class and then go to a next one. It's just not possible for Alfie. It's not... It's not how he rolls at all, Katie, do you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just not there. And I know there's there's an an issue about maybe a flight risk as well. Oh, there 100% is. Alfie is flight risk, yeah, absolutely. So he, they wouldn't be able to keep their eyes off him, you know, especially in the playground and stuff like that. He has, like, he has left playgrounds in schools before, you know, he is a flight risk, like. And what does he do? He just takes off? Oh, he just takes off, yeah. No fear, Katie, so he just takes off, you know. You know, something else catches his eye and away he goes, you know. I have to say, Roar, you seem in remarkably good humour for somebody who's dealing with what I would feel would be a very stressful situation. Sure, it's fear stressful, but I mean, what can I do here? I'm in it. I, like, I didn't realise this was going on for parents until I tried to get a secondary school place for Alfie. I had no idea this was coming down the line. I had no idea. So really until, when did you really realise, OK, this, this we're now nearly in September and yeah. there's nothing happening here. Was there was there a moment where you thought we're in real trouble here? I did, I did. And that was in June, leaving national school. I was like, no, I've been refused for every school now. We're really in trouble. And here's the summer holidays now. So there's no applying now, you know, for those few months. And mm-hmm. I, I realised then that I was in trouble, that I was like, oh, my God, we're not going to get a school this year at all. It's not looking that way. So I know that you have obviously gone gone to all lengths and contacted everybody. We have yeah. a response here uh, from uh, Josepha Madigan uh, because Lovely. yeah, because you spoke to Sean O'Freel, who'd be your local TD there. I did, I did. Um, and this came in. It's the October eleventh. So this is just last week. The minister mm-hmm. uh, responsible. This is uh, Josepha Madigan, minister with responsibility for special education and inclusion. Uh, yeah. So she talks about the budget. Uh, you know, she says that her department's budget was substantially increased increased as part of budget 2023 by over 10 percent. She now has 2.6 mm-hmm. billion euro to spend on special education because, of course, this was a big issue and blew up a year ago as well for, for other families. And yeah. she says 600 new special classes were sanctioned at primary level and almost 300 new special classes were sanctioned at post-primary level and five new special schools were established over the last three years. And she says that there are now a total of there are a total of 2,920 special classes sanctioned nationwide, right? So that's just the general picture. Mm-hmm. And then she says that in Kildare, where you are, um, yeah. 11 new special classes will open in uh, for this school year, 23-24. Uh, and how many of those are post-primary? Five of them at, are at post-primary level. So that means there are 115 post-primary classes for special needs in Kildare. And she sure. says um, there'll be other expanded. But then she gets to Alfie and she says uh, at present Alfie is high on the waiting list at St. Francis Special School and the NCSE are hopeful for an appropriate placement soon. So are you taking any comfort from that, Cora? Well, I'm not really because I gave them that information that he was high on the list. But I mean, nobody's going to drop out at this stage. So you can be high on the list, all right, but it's not going to happen for this academic year, you know. And do you know how far off the top of the list Alfie is? He's next on the list. Oh, OK. Well, then... For Port Leash. OK. And is that would that be feasible for you? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But that's just, you know, that's one school, you know. But here we are in the year. So chances are the children aren't going to drop out through the year, you know. Yeah. So he is he is next on the list. But I mean, it doesn't make my situation any better. And I mean, you have to reapply then for all the other schools again. There is no kind of waiting list. You have to just go again, you know. And how long would it take you to get up to Portlaoise from where you are there? Um, well, I suppose 30, 35 minutes. OK, OK, so it's doable. Oh, not, it is not, doable. Not, not ideal, obviously, but, but doable. Oh, no, it's, per- yeah. I mean, it's perfect. It's yeah. totally doable. There's no problem with that. Like, but, I mean, but you just don't think you, know, you just don't think another family are going to step aside and, and there's oof. going to be a place coming up. I, do, I don't see it. I don't see it happening for this year. I think it would have happened by now if it was going to happen. So how are you going to continue with this? Uh, you know, if you're, if you're spending 10 euro out of every 13 euro you earn on childcare. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to give up my job. Katie is the way it's looking. It's, I don't see any other way around it. There's, there's no point. You know, I'm going out and spending everything we have on childcare. There's no point. Like, I'm going to stay at home full time, obviously, which, like, is not filling me, me with joy because going to work is kind of my outlet as well, Katie. You know, when you're a single parent, and especially with a kid with special needs, you know, it's, it's, it's high dependency and you do need a break. You do need time out from it. And that's what my job does for me is... is gets me through you know that kind of way yeah yeah you know it's my outlet but you are now looking down the barrel at having to give that up I am I totally am yeah yeah it's only I'm trying to get to as far as Christmas and then after Christmas then I'll, I'll have to give it up if we have nothing yeah Look, Cora, we'll put it out there, as you say, if yeah. there's that few few places available um, and other families in your situation. There uh, has to be. Yeah, well, look, we'll, we'll put it out there. If they get in touch with us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll stay in touch with you, Cora, and hopefully um, we will get some solution to your situation. Absolutely. Well, if other families can get in contact and we can go on numbers and try and make a difference here. OK, thanks, Cora. Thank T- you so take much. Take care Katie. of yourself. Good luck to Alfie. We'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Now, last week we were speaking to Daniel O'Donnell uh, because he wanted to warn people that if they were getting messages from somebody purporting to be him on Facebook, that it was highly unlikely to be him. Uh, he was saying he doesn't do that, but he had been told that he was being impersonated. So people had set up accounts uh, in his name and were messaging people uh, pretending to be him. So he was very concerned about that, obviously. And um, he wanted to get that word out there. So we've been talking to other people now about other Facebook scams. Um, and you just have to be on your guard constantly. Tina, good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, Katie. Thank you for having me on. Tell us how you were caught out. Um, so uh, I have a teenage son called Jack and himself and all his pals listen to BLK, um, who's an Irish DJ. And BLK announced an event for the Three Arena for the 17th of March next year and tickets went on sale through Ticketmaster in early September. So Jack and I were both online uh, ahead of 10am that morning, but due to the demand, and he's he's apparently a really, really good performer, um, we didn't manage to get tickets. Um, and he all Jack was looking for was a, a standing ticket, which was 49.95, and he was obviously disappointed. However, within hours, I suppose, the tickets went on resale on a few resale platforms, all for €100 Euros upwards. I engaged with a few sellers at the time, but I backed away for one reason or other because I wasn't confident that it was, they were genuine. And I had to, Jack had to decide himself, was he willing to pay his pocket money for double the value, uh, which he he was, um, such as the the demand. Um, I use Marketplace and Facebook a lot myself. I sell on all the toys, Whatever that the boys yeah, have, I hear, have I, out of. I don't actually use it, but I hear great things about it. You can find all it sorts. Brilliant, Katie. I have used it extensively now, and and I will always trade cash or Revolut. I just it it works really really well, and I've had real success in it. So right. of course, when tickets were coming up on marketplace, I was very confident that this would be this would be the answer. Um, so last week. Uh, and uh, one came up. I've been in contact with a few sellers, but I, again, I had backed away. All sellers are insisting on PayPal 
payments. I'm not that familiar with PayPal, I'll be honest. Um, and anyway, I had engaged over two or three days with this girl. I'm going to call her Jane for the purpose of, of this. Okay. And we had... We got to the point of she had taken my son's details to transfer the ticket straight onto his Ticketmaster account and I went on to PayPal to pay over um, the €100. And the mistake I made was I chose friends and family. And the name on the the PayPal account was different to the person that was selling. So, so hang on a James second, name. hang on a second, Tina, because that's a very important yeah. part of this, isn't it? The, why did you it Why did you tick the box that said that you were sending money to friends and family? Because that's what Jane asked me to do in the very oh, last the indeed. last transaction. And did she explain? When did I she explain? Yeah. Did she explain why she was asking you to do that? No, and to be fair, I didn't ask her, which was in my, I thought I had bagged this ticket. You've no idea the heat that goes on in our house over this ticket. Um, So I thought I'm coming to the finishing line. I'm going to get this ticket. So I, it was very naive of me. If I, uh, you know, it's not like I don't sell on platforms. I do. I should have known better. But I didn't. But, but so, and just I suppose the thing is, because you were on Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace, you kind of thought you knew your, your, the lie of the land and you trusted it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've never, ever had an issue with selling on, on Facebook Marketplace. Ever. Yeah. OK. So anyway, um, you're on PayPal. You have ticked the box saying you are sending money to friends and family, which, of course, overrides all the security, <laughs> the security yeah. uh, Bar- barriers there that that you know stop you being being defrauded in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It, I, 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 I suppose I, I lost the protection of of their governance. I guess uh, as soon as we transferred the hundred euro, the Jane blocked me on on uh, Facebook and on Marketplace simultaneously. So couldn't message her. The ad was gone went on to a friend's Facebook, Ad was still there, messaged her, she ignored, saying, come here, I've transferred the money now, would you, would you sell, send the ticket? Uh, no joy. Um, and so reported it on Facebook as marketplace for, for scam and went on to PayPal to, uh, to alert PayPal that it was fraudulent. And obviously because we weren't protected, the advice from PayPal, that they did the best they could, uh, was uh, notify the UK police and they'll notify their internal fraud, which was in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were, um, I suppose we were down a hundred euro with a very costly lesson and no, and no BLT tickets at the end no of it. No BLT tickets at the end of it. And just, so, we should, you know, we should tell people that you are actually so savvy about this that when you contacted us and we rang you back when our, <laughs> our producers <laughs> rang you back, that you what, had to double check that we really were live line before you tell us any more about yourself. <laughs> So, so you well, you yeah. are uh, <laughs> you are uh, you are not uh, easily taken in, uh, Tina. But you got um, caught this time. Yeah, I'd like to think not. And to be fair to your uh, researcher, uh, she probably got a bit of a fright because I didn't. I had no confidence at that point um, that it was you were genuine, which was. Anyway, you proved to me, which was great. But isn't that the um, thing, that it actually shatters your confidence in everything? This, when you get caught out at all, even once, you're afraid to click on everything or, ch- you know, a- any call, take any call. It just it just destroys your confidence on what, what's coming at you. It does. Oh, it does. Uh, and, and honestly, I tracked the ad on Facebook for right up until Friday afternoon. If the ad is no longer there, but interestingly, the name on the PayPal account is who's advertising the the ticket today on on Facebook uh, Marketplace. That's they're still there. They're still there, but under the name of the PayPal account as opposed to under Jane's name. All right. Okay. Mm. So anyway, they're still they're they're still there. So I don't know how active. Facebook marketplace are in the background. I just don't know. 
Well, we're we're told Facebook is is working on it, and they are trying to investigate further what's going on with this with this uh, account holder. And we will uh, we'll get back to you if we know any more about that. But I have a little bit of good news right. for, for you, Tina, because yeah. we know that the BLK concert is totally sold out. But yes, we've been yes. in touch, Michael from DJ BLK's management company, Robot a- Reboot Agency, I should say, is adding your son to the guest list for the event on St. Patrick's Day in March. Unbelievable! I don't <laughs> believe you. Oh, that is that is brilliant. You have no idea. You have no idea how how big that will be in my house. I will be. The best mother well, ever. Fair play to the guys at the Reboot Agency. When they heard heard yeah. what happened, they stepped up and they said they wouldn't see him short because they, when they heard what a big fan he was. So there you go. He shall oh, go to the ball. Credit. I really appreciate. I, oh, I can't put English on that one. That is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Tara because in your research, I, I can, I've never, I mean, I listen to your programme all the time. I have, I've never... I'd, I'd never underestimate the work your researchers do. They are fantastic, Tina. I, I'd never underestimate them. I certainly wouldn't dare anyway. Uh, listen, Absolutely. Tina, best of luck and good luck uh, to your son. I hope he enjoys that concert. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Take care. That was Tina. Now, uh, another another uh, Facebook uh, scam situation. Melissa, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, your one has a kind of a, another another layer to it again. So, so t- t- oh yeah, just next level. <laughs> it is next level for sure. This is this is actually going to uh, put some people's uh, hair standing on their neck. Tell tell me how it began. Um, so basically, I was looking tickets for Electric Picnic, and of course, left it to the day before. So I was kind of under pressure, and I just wanted a ticket. Um, and I would think that I would be similar to Tina, quite careful about who I'm buying off and getting, you know, proof of purchase and all that kind of thing. So I had kind of contacted a few people. Some people got back to me and they had already sold their tickets. Some people were quite obviously scamming, so I blocked them and things. And then there was one person who was just incredibly convincing. And uh, I was, I kind of said, look, I don't want to be scammed here. And I asked her for proof of identification for her um, and proof of identification or proof of the purchase of the tickets. And I also asked if I could speak to her online, like face to face over the phone or not face to face now, but over the phone, like so I could at least see I was talking to a real person. And um, it was at that point then that I knew she wasn't genuine. So I'd asked to kind of send a deposit before I sent the full amount because for EP now you'd be looking over the 200s or 300s. So I'd sent a deposit and then they'd agreed to that. And then they said, no, I actually need the full amount. And I was like, look, I'd prefer to ring you if I'm going to send you that much money. I don't want to send you that much money. Just like off the basis of she sent me a video of her speaking, but sure, that could have been anyone. Yeah. Um, and at that stage then I was blocked when I kind of started to make things a bit more difficult for her. Um, and then I you know, I was annoyed. I was like, ah, oh, look, I'd sent a positive 50 quid. I'll cut my losses and I'll, I'll not go with Grant. And then it was only a week later, I was um, at home and got a phone call from someone in work who told me that my cousin had contacted work and I was thinking, that's very weird. I don't have a cousin. And it was the name that she'd given me. And they'd left a number for me to call back. So I called back and I did a bit of investigation myself in the meantime. And it turns out the person who had tried to scam me for the tickets had then taken my name and my photos and was using them on, on a fake Facebook page to scam other people. So the person who had called my work had obviously looked up, you know, my actual page. And now my actual page is very private. So they'd had a mutual friend and asked them for the for my location or whatever so that they could find out more about me and they contacted my work looking for me and at that point then it all just kind of spiraled I ended up getting I think it was about eight people all texting me sending me horrible messages on Messenger because they thought you were scamming them they thought I was scamming them so basically the same thing that happened to Tina as soon as those people sent the money to them uh, they were blocked and then obviously they looked up the name and they seen my page because it had the same photo and the same name and they texted me um, and sent horrible, horrible messages. And I tried to explain, and most of them were very understanding when I explained to them. And at that point, I was like, right, I need to kind of take this off. I went up to the guards and things as well. And similar to Tina, then had to contact the UK police and action fraud and things like that. God, that is just like so horrible. And obviously, when you're trying to explain to people, you know, I'm, I was, I'm a victim in this as well. So in some cases, people yeah. will think 
you are the scammer and that's obviously what a scammer would say if you contacted them. 100%, 100% one person told me she was, because I have now, my page is completely private only for the photo of my name, but I have now a public post that says, I've been scammed. If you're kind of affected by this, this is my reference for action fraud, please contact them. Um, and people are texting me and saying that's a lie you're only putting that up to kind of back up your story and I've had death threats and everything like it's been really really horrible You've actually had death threats because yeah. of people who were scammed by this yeah. person using your name That's very, yeah, that's very scary Melissa Very very scary And, and what did the did the guards have any solution for um, you or suggestions or be honest they didn't really at first and I fully understand it's kind of a grey area that I don't know if there is much they can do um, so I've been following up I've probably been wrecking their heads um, just following up as much as I can and look they've said they've put in requests to basically the scammer is getting money over Revolut rather than PayPal so they're requesting from Revolut and the identification loading the accounts that are getting the money and things so that's the way they're going about it but they said it could be very slow like it's been a couple of weeks now so it, it just takes a bit of time it's a really that's a very very tricky situation to find yourself in yeah. uh, because it puts you really in the in the headlights for people and as I say people yeah. are so people are so you know distrustful now of any piece of information I'll just I'll just read out because we obviously we were in touch with um, with Meta of course which is the company that, that uh, owns Facebook now um, so they told us that the accounts brought to our attention by Liveline are now inactive um, it's against our rules to impersonate someone else on our platforms and we block millions of fake accounts every day oh my god yeah often within minutes of creation. If someone believes they've spotted one of these accounts, we encourage them to report it or use our app tools so we can take action. Uh, were they, did you find, did you try Facebook, uh, Melissa? I tried absolutely everything. Anyone who would help at all, I do. I would say Facebook didn't do a whole lot. There was two pages set up. The first one was I reported every single post and I reported the page easily. Like every break I had from work, every lunch, the whole evening, I had my whole house everyone was reporting this page as much as possible. The first one was taken down after six days and then I had about five days of a, a break, like a bit of peace and quiet and then another page was set up and until this morning that page was still up. Um, so I don't know if that's just the attention that we're putting on it that they decided to delete it this time but it was up for 10 days. Right, yeah. I mean, I I'm, I, I was mentioned this to Daniel O'Donnell when we were talking about it last week. I got some messages from friends saying they had been, they had been asked, they'd been sent friend requests from somebody you know purporting to be me as well on Facebook yes, um, yes, and they said that. they had reported it and it seemed to me that page was taken down but uh, honestly I haven't been on Facebook uh, that much so I don't yeah. know what's going on out there but it, it must be rife is all I can say it, it must be yeah it has to be uh, it's uh, but it's a very I mean what is happening to you is, is really really um, that's kind of scary now I have to say the fact yeah. that people think you are the scammer yeah, it's just, it's a horrible feeling, even though I know, like, I know nothing can ever come back to me because I'm not the scanner, but it's just, it's just not nice having all the things said to you and things like that. Not knowing what's going on under your own name, do you know, that kind of way. That's it, isn't it? Um, just in relation to the, the previous uh, scam that Tina was telling us about, the Facebook were saying to us at that point that fraudulent activity is not allowed on our platforms. We take action on violating content when we become aware of it. Um, we continue to invest heavily in new technologies to tackle this industry-wide issue. And there is no doubt, of course, it is. It's not just a Facebook thing. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's everywhere yeah. in, in every every means of contacting us is, is being hijacked left, right and centre. But, uh, yeah. Melissa, the very best to look at that. And I, I really, I really hope you. that um, by taking down um, those, um, those accounts now, that that will give you a bit of ease anyway for now. And yeah. uh, they'll move Thank on you. to somebody else is the only problem, I suppose. I know, that's it. See, I just, uh, as bad as it is that I want it to be over, I just know it's going to go on to someone else, which is just as bad. Okay, listen, Melissa, thanks a million for that. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you know if we hear any more on it. Uh, but for now, I need to take my break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Now, I want to move on and, well, go back as well, I think, because on Friday we were talking to Paul about the snobbery, there's no other word for it, that um, is still out there about 
particular kinds of jobs, you know, that, that if you're not uh, a professional, to use that P word that uh, I really don't like, but if you're not in one of the professions, you're not an accountant or a lawyer or, or a teacher, that um, this is somehow not a proper job. Uh, so, uh, Elizabeth, you were listening to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? Yeah, you've had to put up with a bit of this over the years, Elizabeth. <laughs> I have, yes. Tell us your I, own story. Um, I left school um, just before my inter and um, I was dyslexic, but we didn't have a word for it at that stage. And um, the nuns always said, if you fail Irish, you fail your whole exam. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to fail the inter, so I persuaded my mum to let me leave school. And I became an apprentice hairdresser. Yeah. And I loved the job and everything, you know, everything was fine. Um, hard work, but um, it was not good. And um, anyway, I've had a few clients, if you want to call them that, over the years that would say to me, you know, oh, my daughter is no good in school. I think I'll put her into the hairdressing. <laughs> and would you have the scissors in your hand at this moment? I would, I would. <laughs> would you ever be tempted to maybe go a bit crooked on the fringe? <laughs> no, I think I heard you so many times that you just, um, you just don't answer. Like, it's such an insult. But honestly, the, I mean, there's no comeback. The lack of awareness to say that to somebody who has given their life to this and it is, like, I mean, it's so, can I just say, such an important job, Elizabeth. Uh, being, getting your hair right is really, really a very fundamental part of a lot of people's lives. Uh, we rely on you so much and not just for nice hair. We rely on you for counselling and, and all sorts of support in our lives, I think. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but so you, so people, would you ever, would you be tempted to kind of give a little dig back or anything? Like, what, what do you say? No, because what do you say? You know, um, you know, if you start in and say, excuse me, you know, do you think I'm stupid or something? You know, you can't say that in a salon. You know, you just have to um, grin and bear it and say no, but nothing. Do you know that thing about where you said you're dyslexia? What you, we now know would be dyslexia. But of course, when, when, when you were in school, when I was in school as well, for sure, there was very little talk about yeah. uh, any sort of... Um, a learning challenge like that, like dyslexia. When did you like? When did you realize that? What you know? When you realized that it was dyslexia, there was a perfectly reasonable explanation for why you couldn't do one thing, but you were very good. Because you were you. What, I presume it was just the the languages each side of things that were a challenge. Exactly. For you. Yeah, the Irish and English, and I had a nun that would use her knuckles at the side of my head and would say, "If only you were as good." At Irish and English, as you are at your math, everything will be fine. Because so you were really good at maths. Be, yeah. So you never got even um, praise for being good at maths. It was almost like you want to apologise because you're good at something. God, and then we had domestic science in school, like cooking and sewing. And, and I was good at all of that. But they didn't count. Once you weren't good at Irish and English, you're a failure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there is whole generations of people who are now in their 50s and 60s who really were let down so badly and had such traumatic school years for, you know, perfect, you know, you know, hugely intelligent, committed, hardworking uh, children who just were, you know, discarded basically by the system because people didn't understand how our brains worked. Yeah, and actually... um we went to Canada and my daughter was 12 at the time. I have two daughters, but the eldest one said, Mom, thank goodness you came to Canada because if we had stayed in Ireland, I would have been saying, do you want fries with that? Yeah, because... Being, yeah. Did they, they, cause did the dyslexia, dyslexia passed down? No, no, we didn't, but it was just the different forms of... Um, learning. Yeah. And I suppose she went to Canada with a clean slate. So, um, you know, and she did fine. She went on to college and she has her own business now. But, um, you know, she would have struggled in Ireland, I think, with because of the same system. And as a hairdresser over the years, 
apart from the people saying that outrageous thing, my daughter isn't very bright, so we might put her into hairdressing. <laughs> do, you, do you find generally there is a sort of a snobbishness around what you do for people? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, you know, as I said, because you could leave at your inter and do a trade, so you weren't treated, you know, you weren't as good as somebody who did their leaving. You yeah. know, and it was just, and that was in the family, I can I have to say as well. You know, some members of my family felt like that too. And did you, did you feel like that about yourself at any stage, Elizabeth? Um, yeah, I did. And when we went to Canada, I studied to be um, a real estate. And I what my own capability was in school. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, I'll stop you there because your line is after going... Um, going a bit oh. on us. Try again. I think we, we might have you back. So you were saying you did study to do... Um, real estate in oh, Canada. Right. Yeah. And um, the first three courses were um, in class. And uh, when I realised that the teacher was going to teach by everybody reading part of a book, I thought this isn't for me because I can't read out loud. And I went up to say it to her and uh, she said, no, just stay at the back of the class. And, um, you know, I, I'll i try not to call you. So um, when I, what I was saying was I didn't know what my own capabilities were um, because, of, you know, leaving school so early, I didn't know if I could do it or not. And, you know, I studied hard and I did very well in the exams and... Um, then very well in real estate because it's a, a people person um, business. Yeah, absolutely. And you are, yeah, that's a skill you get in, in uh, spades if you're a hairdresser for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Elizabeth, thank you yeah. so thank you so much for that. I have Patricia on the other line. Uh, Patricia, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? I, I'm good. So you, this, this is very familiar to you as well, Patricia. Oh, it is. It is. And even listening about um, Elizabeth's education and coming up through it, you know, you know, like, I failed my leaving cert wonderfully well. I think if you're going to do anything, do it very well. So, <laughs> so I failed it. <laughs> but, you, um, you failed it in style, Patricia. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Yes, yes. And um, but then, you know, I spent 10 years working, you know, working in, in any job I could. I've actually been working since I was 16. And then I went back to college, got my honours degree and was working in third level education, um, you know, helping helping other adult learners. <clears throat> and then... Um, and was it for the same yeah. reasons, do you think, Patricia, that, that Elizabeth had, that you, 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 as you say, failed in some style in your leaving cert, but then managed to get a first class honours degree, which is some achievement? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I do think so. I think I was very lucky with my parents. Both parents were teachers. And so dad, my father, he was a headmaster. So he knew how to get me. Do, do you know that way? Yeah. He used to make me run up and down the stairs reciting things and learning things off. That's how I learned was through movement. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask. I, you know, no, I, I will <laughs> ask. Sorry, Patricia, I will ask. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I am officially asking. So the, the method was yeah. you would be reciting whatever, the poem or the, the, poem the maths or the theorem. Table, the tables. Yeah, the maths, which I cannot do. I cannot do maths. That's, that's my problem with maths. Right. But, um, but you would say you them while you were moving. Running, and that, did yeah, that help? It did, to the beat, yes. Now, to this day, I still can't say my times tables, but I knew them when I needed them in the class the next day. <laughs> That's fantastic. And your father just yeah. came up with that. Yeah, that that was um he was quite forward thinking with his teaching methods when he when he was teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he was always open. He was an educator as opposed to teaching. So, yeah. So I like to think I took a bit out of him. But I went on then from you know, college I did a lot of different jobs and I was self employed, but I did jobs like um nightclub security. And now I'm a traffic litter warden. Okay. So I, I see people at their best. And um, a lot of them, well, when they see me or when they're speaking to me, and obviously sometimes when they're in the wrong, 
they feel that they have well one oh, no. upmanship. Okay, will you hang yeah. on there now? Because I definitely yeah, want to no find problem. out about that. Yeah. Uh, go, go back a step. You said you were okay. n- nightclub security. Were you a bouncer? Yes. I, I, yes. The, the, the new name for it is nightclub security. But when I was there, it was a bouncer. I was a bouncer. Yeah. And how did people react to you when you told them you were a bouncer? Or indeed, when they came up to you at the door? Um, but the, um, the fact that I'm fe- female, first of all, p- people take a step back because they, at the time they, they weren't used to seeing females on the door. I, I was on the door. I wasn't in the club. I was on the door. And um, and then when you tell people, oh, you know, they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a bouncer. I do nightclub security. They go, oh, how can you do that job? That's a terrible job. So straight away, it's negative connotations on the job yeah. immediately, you know, um, so, you know, I, I went into it sort of as a bet because somebody said I couldn't do it, so I did it. <laughs> and did you like it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Really? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. So, OK, explain. So a, a, a bunch of, of, of um, people are approaching and they're clearly under the weather. What do you do? Yes. You're just you're looking because you only have ten seconds to decide is this person coming in or not coming in, you know, or you know, do you what delay tactics would you use? You know, have a chat. How's your night going? But you're always polite. But that's the way I was, you know, always to be polite and uh, you know to have manners, and then hope that you make the right judgment when they go in. You and know, yeah. would you have gotten involved in any hairy situations? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. That there would have been quite a few situations like that. Um, you know, when there's drink, drugs and high emotions involved, it can be quite hairy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But you loved it. Absolutely loved it. Because, you see, p- people tend to go for the negative of the job straight away. You know, the rowdiness, the bullying, you know, all that. But it was actually 70%. It was great fun on the door. You'd be chatting away to people. I mean, I didn't need to go on a night out. You know, I was paid for my night out because I was standing on the door talking away to people and having a good night instead of spending my money on drink and getting a hangover. <laughs> but, but you were saying that people did look down their noses at it when you told them what you oh, were doing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and especially when you when you meet them on the street, you know, do you not get a proper job or how can you do that job? Or, you know, you, you must be... I, I, a lot of people come up and say, oh... We we had we had a person who once who came up to say, oh, sure, I got five hundred and sixty points in my leaving cert. What are you doing? And I was standing there looking at this person, going, I'm probably going to see you in my office tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll remind them gently of their five hundred and sixty points. You know. So. <laughs> do people actually do that? Quote their their leaving cert points at you. Oh. They do, they do, they do. They do when they're young and foolish and, and don't know any better, you, you know. Sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm really thing. smart, what are you doing? Yeah, pretty much. And, they, you know, and, they, and then you will have people coming up telling us their professions and who do you think you are stopping us because we do whatever. They don't. Yeah, do people actually say, I am a, too. give me an example. Oh, what, yeah. pro- what professions have you been quoted at the door? Um, teachers. Teachers, I'm sorry to say, even though my father was one, um, Gardaí and lawyers would be the, the main the main offenders. Right. Solicitors, I should say. Yeah. I'd yeah, say you could yeah, write. Yeah. I'd say you could write quite a good book. I my could. Se- I could secrets of a bouncer book. of a female bouncer. Yes. Yeah. You you could you could you know it's um it's it's a sort of a self entitlement attitude. Which comes, and it's the same thing as, as a traffic warden. I'm a traffic warden now nearly 10 years, and it's, it's the same. Yeah. Well, tell yeah. me about, yeah, a traffic warden, because that probably, yeah. I'd say, if you did a poll of the most disliked professions, yeah, <laughs> I'd say a traffic warden might come up in the top the top five, maybe. It, it, could, it could be up there, but at the end of the day, people don't like being told they're wrong. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that is the problem. You know, that, yeah, people yeah. just don't like being told to do anything. I think, really. No, and I think, yeah. And um, I was saying to your researcher there before coming on, I I feel it's gotten worse since we've come out of uh, COVID and the restrictions. Yeah. You know that um, manners, basic manners, is very hard to, are very hard to come by. 
you know, and, and rudeness seems to be the way to go. You know, that rudeness is okay now, that you can be rude to anyone. It doesn't matter. Yeah, do you, you know? have you, and I mean, yeah. you're on the front line of it there, have you really found mm. a difference? Because I, a lot of people say they have that sense that, that people's, mm. you know, people's tempers are much closer to the, to the surface and there oh, seems yeah. to be more oh, anxiety you, in the air generally. There, oh, oh, there, is, there is generally a lot of anxiety and I know, you know, everyone, everyone, you know, everyone is affected by everything at the moment between money and stress and the leftovers of COVID. You know, everyone is, is touchy and you just have to scratch the surface. But I think people feel now, is because maybe we've come out of hiding, that they feel it's more just more acceptable to, to be rude to people. That you can just be rude. You, you know, there, there is no excuse for rudeness. And as my mother says, you cannot buy class, you know. Yeah. Uh, Patricia, nice will you know. will you stay yeah. there? Because uh, uh, yeah. you, you have a lot of life experience I'd like to tap into. Can I bring in Noel though? Noel, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, how are you? I'm listening with great interest to your, to your program. You did nursing, I agree with did you? said about manners, actually. Yeah, you did uh, nursing. Yes, I did nursing, and I did my, my leaving cert in 1973, so that's a long time ago. And at that time, the nuns would would say that if you weren't suitable for teaching, you weren't bright enough for teaching, uh, you could do nursing instead. I think that probably stems from the fact that nursing at that time was an apprenticeship style training. That's, no yeah, that was before the university uh, course Absolutely. was put in place. Yeah, yeah. Nursing, nursing was definitely seen as a secondary profession, certainly to teaching. So the bright girls went on to do teaching and those of us who weren't that bright went on to do nursing. <laughs> I did very well in nursing, I had a wonderful career. Did my uh, did my um, a BA and a master's as it turned out. And beyond the nuns and beyond the, you know, at that level, did you find that over the years that you there was a bit of um that you were kind of looked down on a bit of a as a ah uh, yeah, yeah certainly certainly before nursing changed I went into a third level um, qualification which I have my reservations about too but um, what do you think you're yeah, better off doing the the vocational kind of I, apprenticeship well I think we might have thrown the baby out of the bathwater I was very I was very pro third level absolutely one of the Voices of you know looking for third level, but I think maybe we might have overdid it. I think we might have if we had combined the two apprenticeship and university, we might be better off. But anyway, you were saying that that's a whole other story. That's another exactly. Yeah, we'll get another another. We need another hour for that one. But uh, you, uh, but yeah, that was that was knitted into the kind of the way people would look at you, even in in Absolutely. the hospital setting. Not so much in the hospital setting, but, you know, um, it was definitely a feeling that, uh, you know, if you weren't um, bright enough or back in, now in my day, of course, there was no such thing as points. So it was honours. Yes. So you needed honours to get into teaching, whereas you didn't necessarily need honours to get into nursing. Did you not need to have a certain level of a leaving cert to get into nursing, though? Oh, you did. You did, certainly. But I think two, two honours would have been the thing at the time, whereas you might need a four for for university for uh, teaching. But definitely nursing was seen as a lesser profession than teaching. Well, given that you did this in 1973, the sting of it obviously still hurts a little bit, Noel, does it? Well, I, well it's amusing when I listened to your programme, Katie, because, uh, you know, that lady was talking about hairdressing and that, and I was thinking to myself, well, that actually happened with nursing as well. Yeah, it's where incredible, are, isn't it? Like, I would never, yeah, it I would never have occurred to me... Uh, that anyone would think of anything except nursing as a fa- you know a great career, but uh, but it, it is a great career absolutely, and um, you certainly needed to be a, a a type of person to do nursing. I mean, they used to say at one time as a vocation. I don't believe that for a minute, but um, you know, you did need to be a certain type to do it. And certainly, when we trained, because I said we we had three months of what you call block, which was um, tutoring, and then you went on the wards. Now, we had great fun and we, it was a huge learning curve and we learned from our colleagues. Um, but, but when you but, think but about... all learned at the bedside. I know, but I mean, Noel, when you think about the responsibility that you would have had, a lot of, you know, quite young young women, you know, as well. Like, you would have people's people's health and people's lives in your hands. Absolutely. We did. We did have. But at that time, again, in nursing, everybody, we were very much um, a group of people who supported each other. And at that time, we used to live in North and Holmes and all the rest of it. So when you came off duty, um, you know, you were able to talk to your colleagues about it. And 
discuss it and have a laugh sometimes and cry a lot of the time. Could I also suggest you, Noel, that one of the reasons it mightn't have the status that it it deserved at that time is that it was an almost 100% female profession? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the training itself was, was almost on a military style training. By the matrons? By the matrons, yeah. And... Uh, you know, there was a very strict uniform code and that time it was very strict. Uh, what type of shoes you could wear, what type type of tight you could wear. Of course, there's no such thing as trousers. So it's, you know, nurses' uniforms, no type uniforms back in the day. And you had to wear a hat, which had to be starched. And, you know, so all that stuff went on. God, it's like my, now, my generation. <laughs> it sounds like straight out of Call the Midwife now, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm a little bit younger than Call the Midwife. <laughs> we're not, we're <laughs> not putting you into that bracket yet, no. It wasn't too. It wasn't too far away from it. Yeah. And now, now I'm a wedding celebrant, and I and I love now instead of delivering babies, and that I'm marrying people. So that's just a, a great end to a, a long career. Well, you're still putting yourself in a very important moment in people's lives, Noel. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, thanks for that. That's great. Not I want I want to bring in um, Bernadette. Bernadette, good afternoon. Uh, hello, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Um, I want to tell you my story. It's about my daughter. Uh, a few, well, a good few years ago, she got quite sick and uh, she ended up in hospital. And we were down talking to the consultant and I said to him, um, it's terrible. I said, she's never missed a day out of school in her life since the day she started school. And here on her leave and search year, she's in hospital. And I said, you know, with all the studying she has to do and everything. And she said, what does she want to be? And I said, and she herself said, uh, a hairdresser. It's all I've ever wanted to be. And he turned around and he said, looked at the two of us and he said, huh, well, you won't be missing much. So he said, you won't really need your leave insert for that. And I was, I looked at him and thought, did I hear you right? <laughs> and I said to him, what do you mean? And I said, uh, education is never lost on anybody, I said doesn't matter what you want to be in life. It's nice to be educated. You could talk to anyone. You mightn't always want to be a hairdresser even. You might want to go ahead and it's nice to have your leave insert, not have to start all over again. And um, I don't think he quite got it. He didn't see there was any harm in what he had said to us. But I thought it was a terrible thing to say. Uh, well, I... Just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will fair play to you for, for uh, coming back at it, Bernadette. I did. And I said to him, uh, I was a hairdresser myself, I said, and it's my VHI is paying for this today, being here with you. And I said to him, if you went home tonight, I said, and uh, said to the wife, uh, we have a big do on. Who's the first person she'll want, I said. The hairdresser to do her hair. You're not wrong, Bernadette. You're not wrong. <laughs> That's uh, who she was. And come here, would you have had more of that now as a hairdresser, like what Patricia was t- telling us about? Well, Cl- clients actually. I gave up. Listen, we're we're going back in the the seventies, and again, like the first woman was saying, yes, you were seen going into hairdressing as uh, you couldn't do anything else. It really was. It was looked down on. There, there's no two ways about it. It was looked down on. And uh, can still be. And can still uh, be, I'm sure, yeah. And, and did you, like, did you enjoy being well, a hairdresser? Oh, I did, yes, yes. And my daughter um, did go on to do hairdressing and she enjoyed it. But as I was saying to your researcher, she then left hairdressing and she works in the hospital now as a cleaner. Well, if you thought hairdressers were looked down on, oh my God. The cleaners are definitely looked down on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm and sure. let nobody tell you different. And it's not by the patients or anything. They're absolutely lovely. It's other members of staff who can look down on the cleaners. And, and, you, and you know, it's cleaners, I think if anyone has ever, and I've been very, I haven't spent much time, but any, if any few time, any time you've ever been in hospital, uh, you will realise that the cleaners are so much part of the social fabric of the hospital. 
and oh, they, they look like. out for you. They look out. They make sure they, they keep an eye to see are people eating their food or they, they you know, yeah. putting a nod to people to, 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 you know, making sure that people are not being forgotten about. Like I do think cleaners in hospitals are, you know, an incredibly important part of. Oh, my daughter has always, she's always loved older people, even when she was hairdressing. She always got on better with older people. And they seem to kind of gel with her. And even in the hospital, she's so kind to them. And it wouldn't matter who they were. If someone was struggling to tie their dressing gown or something, she'd help them. It doesn't matter to her that she's the cleaner and that that's maybe the carer's job. If she sees somebody that needs help, she'll look after them. And she'll, I mean, even some of the nurses often say to her, how do you manage to get that person to do what you want to do? She says... With a little bit of kindness sometimes, she said, you just have to come to their level. Speak to them like, you know, and, and understand them and just have a little bit of understanding sometimes of what they're going through. And does she uh, love it? Does she love that job oh, now? Oh, she loves it. She loves her mop and bucket. <laughs> <laughs> she, does. <laughs> she does love it. She does love it. And she doesn't care and what anyone says about it. No, nope, she couldn't care less. She looks at some of them sometimes and she thinks, I bet I have more in my bank balance than ye have in years. <laughs> That's all that matters to her. She absolutely loves her job. Gets up in the morning. She's gone in sometimes to work at half past six in the morning and uh, to drive to work and absolutely loves her job. As she says herself, if I'm left alone to get on with it. <laughs> But I just said I tell you that story. That um, yeah, it's something. It it always stuck with me. And uh, she's um, her late thirties now, and she will still talk about that herself when that was said to her. Wow. Well, she sounds like a fabulous girl. You must be very proud of her, Bernadette. Well, I am very proud of her. She's uh, she is a great girl, I have to say, and she helped me through my sickness. And she is a great girl. And it doesn't matter what you do in life. Uh, or what job you have, as long as you're good and kind and honest. That's all that matters. Well said. In this life. Well said. That's Bernadette, well said. Patricia, thank you so yeah. much. I loved talking to you about uh, and giving us a little insight into the bouncers, uh, the bouncers and, and the traffic warden lives. Um, mm-hmm. And Noel, many thanks to you. Three uh, fantastic women there. And we're going to be talking about more fantastic women after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now, we started this a few weeks ago talking about uh, possible nominations of women who should be celebrated and possibly uh, put into this new women's museum that's been proposed. And we've got such a great flood of... um, messages about fantastic women and I wanted to get back to a few of them today. So can I bring in Mary first? Mary, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, You wanted to nominate, uh, this is a great nominee now, tell me about it. Kathleen, isn't it? Kathleen Lynn. Yes, Dr. Kathleen Lynn. Um, I think her story is interesting because she had the courage to stand up for the rights of, of other people. And she was born in 1874. She was She went on to become a successful medical doctor, which was a rare achievement at the time. But she also became a politician, a TD, a councillor, a suffragist and a Republican. She was involved in 1916. And after 1916, along with her lifelong partner, Madeleine French Mullen, they founded a hospital called St. Olsen's Hospital for Sick Children. And basically, Kathleen was a powerful activist for the right to access health care, particularly for women and children who were experiencing poverty and oppression at the time. Yeah, because the, what we should remember is it was a very unusual for, the, for uh, to be female and a doctor at this time. Yes, it was. She was it, it was a rare achievement. And she did go on to work in a number of Dublin hospitals, but her appointment, for example, as a surgeon to the Adelaide Hospital was resisted. She was refused this appointment by the other male doctors because she was a woman. So she set up her own private G- GP practice from her home where she worked and lived in Belgrave Road in Rathmines. And then for her to actually go on and set up a hospital where they were caring for women and children at the time was an extraordinary achievement. 
And what she was doing is she was responding to the abject poverty because at that time you had uh, numerous uh, children dying from preventable diseases and mostly children from the tenements. There was huge poverty at the time. And she set this hospital up in response to provide free health care for these people, believing it was a human right. So I think, you know, the work she did was extraordinary in dedicating her life in service of others. I just saw this morning, actually, Mary McCall, if you know Dr. Mary McCall of... um in UCD she has a book a biography coming out she's I know Mary from our, my own parish of Dewa at home but uh, yes. she's just saying she's a, her book is just about to be published on uh, Kathleen Lane so I, I'm it really is. looking forward to that now and, and and I actually think it's about time that we, we start to hear more about this extraordinary woman Kathleen kept a number of diaries throughout her lifetime and the book is The Diaries of Kathleen Lane A Life Revealed Through Personal Writing um, and I often think it's very important that, you know, that people, women in particular, we should write down our stories so that they are remembered. And we, we know a lot from Kathleen's diaries when she talks about her relationship with Madeleine French Mullen, her involvement. She was a distant relative of Constance Markovitz, and it was through Constance she got to know a woman called Helena Maloney, who, as Lynn said, uh, Helena converted Kathleen to the national movement. And, and Kathleen became very good friends with uh James Connolly, the socialist and trade unionist, and she was involved in 1916. She ended up being head of the battalion in City Hall and was imprisoned in various prisons and eventually in England. And when she came back, she she, she actually became a TD, but she was anti-tree, she so refused to take her seat. And she eventually left the party, Sinn Féin, because they weren't doing enough for health reform at the time. And she worked as a counsellor. And as I said, then went on to do that extraordinary achievement with St. Ultimate. Honest to God, the lives that these women led were really, really extraordinary. Uh, Mary, that's a great, a great nomination. That's uh, Dr. Kathleen Lane. Um, thank you for that. And I, yes. And I'd love to say, I think, you know, we have a new children's hospital being built. I think it would be really brilliant if we could name the children's hospital after Dr. Kathleen Lane. It would be, you know, she was such a pioneering woman. It would be a great honour for her uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, that's and I, I, I was going to say that I'm involved as an artist with an exhibition called Eternal Rebels, which is taking place at the Pump House in Dublin Port. And we're actually telling the stories of change makers, including Kathleen Lane and many other extraordinary men and women from Irish history. If people want to go along and see okay. that, because okay. there are so many stories there. Fair play, Mary. You got your plug in. <laughs> Fair play to you. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's, that's a great story, Kathleen Lane. Uh, OK, Barbara. Barbara, who are you nominating? Uh, thank you very much, Cathy. I'd love to um, nominate Winifred Letts, Winifred Mabel Letts. So she was pretty much a contemporary, actually, of Kathleen Lynn, and I'm sure met her in their uh, Alexandra College circle. She was born in Manchester, the granddaughter of the Letts family of Letts Diaries, but she came to Alexandra at the age of, age of 16, and she lived in Ireland then from the age of uh, uh, 22 onwards. Uh, after the death of her father. She was one of the very few women to have more than one play performed in the Abbey. She was only the second woman ever to have a play performed in the Abbey. Um, Lady Gregory was the first, naturally. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing about her is that she's a a complete enigma in a way, because even though she was in the circle of Yeats, Singh, Lady Gregory, Thomas Macdonough, Plunkett, all of those people, when the First World War broke out, she opted to join the voluntary aid detachments, which were the volunteer women and men who were to sort of um, help the medical services. And she was posted, she began training in Bagot Street Hospital. She was posted to Manchester. She worked there in the uh, Second Western General Hospital for a year. And actually, Frances Ledgewidge was a patient in another part of the hospital while she was there. But she then came back to Ireland and she trained in Bagot Street Hospital as a masseuse which was the um, forerunner of physiotherapy. Mm -hmm. And she worked as a physiotherapist from then on or as a masseuse in various military hospitals, the Blackrock Military Hospital here in Dublin and also in military hospitals in Manchester and in Northumberland. And then she came back to Ireland. She worked, you know, right up into her 40s as a masseuse. And she continued to write. She wrote uh, numerous plays, sorry, numerous um, novels, children's stories, 
One of her books about Pomona was actually voted the second most favourite story on the BBC Children's Hour. She won prizes on Radio Erin with uh, Frances McManus, who was the selector of of prizes at that time or drama at that time. Um, She had a second play in the Abbey and she did a huge amount of philanthropic work uh, like obviously Kathleen Lynn as well and she was involved in supporting things like the the Fresh Air Fund which was to bring small children from city streets and deprived backgrounds out into the country and she actually used to stay, she used to bring children from the back of Fitzwilliam Square where they lived down to the farm my mother grew up on in Kildare. so you have a family. You have a family connection with her. Oh, family. Oh, yeah. I knew her. I knew her. Um, I d- she died when I was fourteen. So my whole childhood was involved with Winifred Letts. I used to cycle up when she ended up in a nursing home. I used to cycle up there on a Saturday to visit her. And my parents obviously were very good to her. My mother used to bring her shopping every week. So it's a, a huge personal interest that I have in this lady. But she was an amazing woman oh, to incredible you know come blazer. through that whole cycle of early Celtic twilight and then into. First World War, yeah. nursing, and I, then back into the okay. society here. Barbara, I'm going to have to cut you short because I want to sneak in one more nomination before we, we finish up today. But thank you for that fabulous, a fabulous nomination, Winifred Letts. Um, loving to hear more about her. Uh, very quickly, Amanda. Um, yes, well, I'm, I'm talking about Mary Ward, who is from Fabana County Offaly, and she was uh, a naturalist, an, an, uh, an early entomologist who did a lot of work with the microscope that she got as a gift when she was young and she published her first book called Sketches with a Microscope in Burr in 1857 but went on to have a number of books published in London and wrote numerous articles and was one of three women at the time to receive the monthly notes of the Royal Astronomy Society, another one being Queen Victoria. But that link was due to her cousin who was the third Earl of Ross um, who was in Burr Castle just down the road from where she lived in Fraban. So she did extraordinary work very early on looking at wings of beetles, scales of the eel, structure of the feather, all sorts of work which has been only reprinted recently and only really rediscovered and lots of people will have heard of her name because the um, the, uh, the road, road safety, safety authority ads, has, been, yeah. has been based her ad on her but we, we've been doing a lot of work in County Offaly to profile her research and her wonderful character and the work that she undertook and I know the, the, uh, the ad also profiles you know that she had her her research side to her, but there's, there's an extraordinary story there and a connection through her husband with Castle Ward up in County Down. And after her her death, he ended up uh, going back to his home place. And a lot of the materials that she used in her research is on display now with the National Trust property in, in Castle Ward in, in County Down. OK, I, we're out of time, Amanda. But uh, and of course, she was then she's listed as as the first person to have been killed in an automobile accident because she they had a, an experimental steam engine car, basically, that uh, that she was thrown from. Thanks for that, Amanda. It's great to get the, the name, the, the story behind Mary Ward. Um, but we have to go to our last break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And uh, that's it for today. I should say that was Amanda Pedlow we were talking to there. She's the Heritage Officer for uh, Offaly County Council um, filling us in there on Mary Ward. Such a fascinating story and thanks for that, Amanda. Um, But that's it for today. On sound we had James Feeney. Our broadcast coordinator was Shane Galvin and today's programme was produced by Shannon Gorman. Stand by now for Ray. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie